Hello, welcome to a place where conversations matter and truth matters even more. Today's episode of The Blind Spot is focused on social justice versus biblical justice. Do they align? Do they have anything to do with each other? What are their definitions? What do they seek to accomplish? And I'm coming in here with a very straightforward and honest objective. My objective in this episode, that's there's probably gonna be uh, two or three episodes that focus on these topics. But my objective in this episode is to convince you. I am trying to sway your opinion, so don't be caught off guard when I'm you know, using language that seeks to convince you of something. I want to convince you that social justice is a cancer. It is specifically a cancer to the church. It obstructs the mission of Christ's body and it is antithetical to the gospel. That is basically my thesis statement of social justice. Now, the second part, if, if I do end up, by God's grace, convincing you of that, maybe some of you are already coming into this and listening and, think, and thinking, I align with that. I think there's problems with social justice. You know, I just want to hear another perspective or I want to get some more information. Great. You'll want to stay tuned for the second episode as well. But if I do convince those who aren't currently in line with that position, the second or third episode in this series will focus on what we do about it. So what are we supposed to do in light of social justice being antithetical to the gospel? It is not a fringe issue. It is mainstream in our society. It has flooded the schools, colleges, and universities. It's all within academia, it is not a fringe movement. And it has also gotten into the seminaries, churches, etc. So it's a very confusing topic. And it's something that you either need to get on board with or you have to get off and you have to fight against it. Um, because they have successfully, social justice activists have successfully taken over the academic sphere, which means this generation and the next will be completely saturated with the words, theories, and philosophies that are undergirded by social justice. Okay, so what I wanna start off with is actually just a little exercise. Okay, so you either need a piece of paper or you need to remember this number that you write down. And I'm not trying to, in this exercise, I'm not trying to bring shame or disappointment upon anyone. I just want you to answer the question so we can do, we can um, see how our faculties are functioning. So question for you, you just need to write down a number. How many unarmed black men do you think were killed by police in 2019? Okay, I know it's now 2021, but I have data from 2019. So how many unarmed Black men, do you think, were sh shot, killed, actually killed, by police in 2019? So just to give you an, uh, an idea, you can put 10, you can put 100, you can put 1,000. You don't need to put an exact number like 52 or 1,005. You, know, you don't have to put that. So just think about what, what, what do you think based off the information that, that you've been given, that you've seen on the news, you know, after all the information that you've gathered, how many do you think were killed by police in 2019, unarmed? 
Okay, I'll give you a second. Tick tock, tick tock. Okay, so according to USA Today, it was 13. 13 people. Now, the death of any human is a sad event, right? Regardless of the situation. So I'm not trying to take away from the sadness of the event. What I hope to convey in that exercise, for those of you who may have put a very large number, maybe in the hundreds or maybe in the, even in the, the thousands, is that we are being consciously, by the media, they're consciously trying to manipulate us. We are being consciously manipulated by our professors. We are being consciously manipulated by politicians. Because a lot of these people know the real number, but they don't give you that number and they make it seem far bigger than it actually is. Now, does this episode specifically focus on police brutality, the events surrounding George Floyd, any of that? No. The reason that I initially am bringing this up is to urge you to consider that we could be manipulated. And we see this, you see it over and over and over again in cultish mentality, in cults. What happens is someone tells you the same information over and over and over again and limits your ability to hear other information. Therefore, you start to absorb and consume and believe that information. And we are not immune to that. Just because we're not in a technical cult, we are affected by the information that we're being fed. We are affected um, in terms of how we respond, how we react, what we say, what we think, what we believe, based on what we watch, what we listen to, what we hear. And so as Christians specifically, we have to be really, really aware of that that where are we getting our information, where are we getting our reference for what is true, ultimately it comes to the Bible, right? The Bible doesn't have current event statistics in that, but it tells us how to think through things, how to think about things correctly, how to think through things properly, and the Bible is sufficient for all of life and godliness, not just part of it, not just some of it, but all of life and godliness. Okay. So we're going to start off, there's really three parts to this episode. The first part is definition. So we're looking at definitions of um, social justice and biblical justice as much as I'm able to give them. The second part of the episode is focused on the mission associated with social justice and with biblical justice. What do these two missions or these um, these two definitions, within their definitions, what does it seek to accomplish? And then third, it's kind of a subset of part two, but we're going to look at how the the mission of social justice um, can be considered or analyzed through a biblical framework. So it's just a little bit more specific. Okay, so I'm sure most people are familiar with The Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya. Um, he says one of his famous lines in The Princess Bride is, you keep using that word, I do not think you. it means what you think it means. And I think of that when I hear the word social justice, especially from Christians, because I really don't think most of us have stepped back to think what it really means. We see the word justice, 
and we see social, and we think social, oh, society, you know, people, we think justice, oh, God is a God of justice, you know, I'm on board, woohoo. But I don't actually think it means what you think it means, and so that's where we're gonna start. So as Christians, this is just to reiterate what I said, we hear the word justice and think, okay, that's me, that's us, that's what we're about. So if you tell us about an injustice, we should have our ears alert because we know our God is the God of justice. Our God defines what just is. Our God is the moral lawgiver and the final judge at the end of the age. We love justice. We love truth. We love what justice means. It means in biblical terms, righteousness. That's the same word in, the, in Hebrew for justice is righteousness. Okay, righteousness and justice are the same thing. So if you're a Christian and going to be behind something that claims to be justice, it must align with the Christian mission and align with the law of God. If it doesn't, if it denies God as the source of justice or the Bible as the metric of justice or is contrary to the biblical definition of justice, it is not justice. Okay, so if it conflicts with those things, then we can't say that it is actually justice because God is the author of justice. He is who defines what justice is. So in 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7, um, and this is talking about what people will be in the last days, it says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. The reason that I bring that up, this up is because there are so many things, people, concepts, ideas that surround us that have an appearance of godliness, but they, de they deny the God who made them. And we have to be really careful about seeing something that has an appearance of godliness and associating it with the God of the Bible. Okay. All right. What does social justice mean? When I first, when I was first doing this episode or, or prepping for this episode, I had all this history about the term social justice, where it came from, blah, blah, blah. And Phil, my husband was like, yeah, it's not really going to do anything for anyone. It doesn't matter because how we op are operating right now is based off a modern definition of what social justice is. So focus on that. So we're going modern. We're saying, what, do, what does social justice mean right now in this instance? Not where did it come from? Not what are its origins? What does it mean now? And what do we do with it? Okay, so I'm first going to take from the Oxford English Dictionary. This is straight from the Oxford English Dictionary. It says that social justice is justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities and privileges within a society. Okay, so that's a very simple definition. So when you think social justice, you should be thinking distributionism. That's what it means, distributionism. That can mean a lot of different things. So I went to um, a United Nations um, document that was written in 2006 that explained somewhat their stance on social justice. So I'm trying not to, again, take from any obscure sources. I'm trying to take from very influential sources that people would recognize. 
So I took some excerpts from their document on social justice. Again, this is from 2006. In the introduction, they, they begin explaining, you know, the concern behind um, the concern behind justice and why they are promoting social justice. So it says the rise in inequality in the distribution, there's that word again, distribution of income among people is well documented and displays the characteristics of a trend having affected large numbers of countries from the poorest to the most affluent during the past two decades. And then they also define uh, poverty as the um, persistence, aggravation, and very existence of extreme poverty constitute an injustice. I'm sorry, that's not the definition. They are explaining that, that poverty at all is an injustice. So if you see these disparities occurring within the world, that proves that there is an injustice. Okay, so basically disparity means injustice. Not what caused the disparity means injustice, but disparity means injustice, okay? So let's go to looking at the biblical definition of justice and injustice. This is in Exodus 23, three through four. Actually, it's in 23, one, three, four, seven, and eight. I'm just taking a bunch of verses from Exodus 23. So it says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many, so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not acquit the wicked. You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. So how can we so far define what biblical justice is from, from some of these passages? I would define it as correct and unbiased verdict of right and wrong correct and unbiased verdict of right and wrong. And this includes honesty, integrity, far from evil, impartiality, and the defense of the righteous. Okay, I'll leave it there for a second. Okay, social justice example of injustice. So from a social justice perspective, going back to social justice, what are some examples of injustice? This is from the United Nations document. In today's world, they say, the enormous gap in the distribution of wealth, income, and public benefits is growing ever wider, reflecting a general trend that is morally unfair. I highlighted that, so I thought I should emphasize it. Morally unfair politically unwise and economically unsound. Injustices at the international level have produced a parallel increase in inequality between affluent and poor countries. So what's the synopsis? Synopsis is injustice is proved by unequal outcomes. There is no explanation within the entire document 
about how the causes of these unequal outcomes are unjust. It is posited that the unequal outcome is unjust in and of itself. That if there is any disparate outcome, any, that that is unjust. So I hope you're starting to take these definitions and compare them with the biblical understanding of justice. So what does the Bible say is unjust? So we talked about what is just, now we're talking about what is unjust. We looked at, just looked at the social justice explanation of injustice. Now we're looking at what the Bible says is unjust. And I'm taking this from Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 talks about loving your neighbor. So number one, it says, leave food for the poor and sojourner. So that's commanded, right? That would be just. So something that would be unjust is taking all the excesses for yourself. So um, what the text says is that when you, you harvest your field to leave the outsides for the poor and for, um, for the sojourner so that they can have something to eat. So th this passage is so often misinterpreted to mean that everyone gets an even or fair share. That is absolutely not what the passage is saying. This is saying, this passage is saying to feed the hungry and not keep the excess for yourself. Not keep the excess for yourself. It is a misrepresentation of God's word to insinuate that this would mean equal outcomes. Are the poor or sojourner suddenly going to be on equal playing fields as the owner of the field? And that wasn't supposed to be a pun, but it kind of ended up being a pun. Will they have the same social status? Will they have the same income? Will they even have the same opportunities? No, probably not. I mean, likely they won't, but they will be loved in the way that God commands us to love our neighbor. And God knows what love is. God knows what just is. So why, why as Christians do we, have a, do we need to go beyond that? Do we, not even beyond that. Do we need to change it? Why, why are we changing that? Second, in, uh, in Leviticus 19, it says, Do not steal or be dishonest. So being honest is just. Being dishonest is unjust. Stealing and lying is unjust. And I have to say something about this. Because it always baffled me. I, I, I saw some professing believers and talked to some who responded to the rioting and the looting after you know several events from last year, but specifically the, the, George, the, the killing of George Floyd. And there was so much rioting and looting, which likely was not um, directly related to the killing, but in my opinion, probably an opportunistic, people saw an opportunity to write in loot. Anyway, that's my opinion. But I'm, I was baffled by believers responding with giving explanations about why we can't condemn the act of writing and looting from people like Trevor Noah, who, as far as I know, is not a Bible-believing Christian. As far as I know, is not a theologian. As far as I know, was not using God's word for, for, to substantiate that claim. I talked to one person who said, well, who am I to really say anything about that? You know, because they've been, they've been um, oppressed for so long. Um, maybe the Ten Commandments? Like, it's very obviously stated in God's law over and over and over what is just and what is unjust. It is clear as day that stealing 
is an unjust act. Looting would fall under that category. So I really was baffled to think you have made yourself your own God. You have made your own Bible. That's why several episodes ago, I think the episode was called the, when the woke church comes to town. I had said something to the effect of the social justicians, the activists, the writers, the leaders of this movement have become the woke church's clergy. I really think that. And I think most of us, most of you have been duped. Anyone who has followed along in this and has you know, waved the social justice banner, I really think you've been manipulated. And you've made scripture from what's not scripture. You've made like slogans and aphorisms and um, social science documents, papers and writings, which by the way, very rarely have like any footnotes whatsoever. It's just like a stream of thought coming from someone's mind. You have made them your Bible. And even if you haven't made it above the Bible, you've put it alongside it. That's often what's happening. And why is that an issue? Because the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient. It doesn't need um, Peggy McIntosh's, I think, I think that's her last name, Peggy McIntosh's um, white privilege paper. It doesn't need it. The Bible alone is sufficient. It accomplishes what it sets out to do. We don't need anything extra. So I, I'm, I was just dumbfounded by that because I thought, when, when did the Bible become not enough? When, when did we get the ability or the privilege of disregarding it and saying, well, you know, in this circumstance, I would disagree with it. I mean, that, that, is, so, that is really dangerous in the church. Okay, third, um, moving on with Leviticus 19. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Pay the worker what his wages are. Do not curse the deaf or put a block in front of the blind. Fear God. Therefore, taking advantage of anyone is unjust, right? Taking advantage of their disability, taking advantage of what they don't have and lording it over them, that is unjust. Four, do not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. You shall judge your neighbor in righteousness. And I, when I saw this, when I, you know, I was going through the... Old Testament moral law and I it was just music to my ears I thought God thank you so much that you remind us that partiality is a sin to take care of the poor is good is a good thing it is a loving thing but to defer to the poor or to defer to the great we have a lot of emphasis right now in this society of deference to the great. What about deferring to the poor? It's, it's in Christian circles, I don't see people getting called out on that very much. I see people getting called out for deferring to people who have money and have influence. And that's good. People should be called out for that. But what about calling someone out? You can't defer to him, because him, her, whoever, in the court of law because they're poor. You can't defer to them because of their race, because of their ethnicity because of their background, it says, judge your neighbor in righteousness. There is no partiality. Uh, fifth, you shall not hate your brother, but reason frankly with him. Ooh, this was good for me too. Reason with each other, talk with each other. If you have an issue, don't build bitterness. And this is, this is often what 
the social justice church and woke church does, it, it builds bitterness. It builds resentment. It separates people, right? There is, there, it, it like laughs at unity, but there's unity in Christ. Six, and this last one, do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your own people, but love your neighbor. So to be unjust is synonymous with being um, with unrighteousness or being unrighteous in actions or judgment. So just a definition of both justice and, and, and um, injustice. Okay, so now listen to one of the final statements from the United Nations document. And this was the kicker for me. Present day believers in an absolute truth identified with virtue and justice are neither willing nor desirable companions for the defenders of social justice. I don't know how that can be more clear. Let me say it again. Present day believers in an absolute truth identified with virtue and justice, that would be us, right? As believers, we are identified with virtue and justice of an absolute truth, the absolute truth of God's word. That's identified with virtue and justice. And it says, those people are neither willing nor desirable companions for the defenders of social justice. They don't want us, okay? And that's why I think most of us have been duped. We have been deceived to think, oh yeah, you know, we should be the ones leading, leading the charge on this social justice thing. No, they are using you. You are pawns in their game. And they're playing you, and once you don't provide anything for them, you're out. Maybe you didn't know this, but currently in social justice academia, in the social sciences, Christianity is seen as a privilege that needs to be repented of. Did you know that? You should, because you're a Christian, according to them, and you have a privilege, you should repent. It's, it, it's not going to stop at being white, okay? It's not going to stop at being white. It's not going to stop at being straight. It's not going to stop at being cisgender. It will keep going until you're demolished. You will have no, nothing left in your arsenal. You could tell them at the end of the day, hey, I, I raised the banner with you. You know, I walked with you, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to say, I have no use for you anymore. They are using you. So you, as a Christian, are not welcome in the movement. Especially if you say anything about Christ, right? I mean, I just heard Ibram X. Kendi talking about um, people needing to stop uh, talking about Jesus as the Savior, right? The Savior, you know, mentality. It's about a revolution. It's about um, not reparations. What's the word? It's about liberation. Not salvation, but liberation. And you think, oh yeah, being liberated from sin. That's not what he means. It's liberated from white oppression. Okay, and he is part of, even though he's, he's the one I'm going to focus on when we talk about anti-racism, it's part and parcel of the same thing. Social justice, um, anti-racism, uh, wokeism, all of that, they're all little cousins and friends hanging out on Saturday. Okay, and they talk about what they're going to do during the week, and then, then they manipulate us through the media, through politicians, and through a lot through social media and uh, through school. And we bought it. We bought it and we ate it and we're digesting it and we're walking along well, along with them hang, holding the same banner. Uh-uh. No, we're not anymore, hopefully. All right. So um, this is what they want. You are welcome if you lay down your cross. 
not take it up, lay it down. Come to the meetings, you know, the social justice meetings, but just leave your Bible. Or you can take, you know, some of the passages that they like, but leave the rest of it. You can quote some scripture, but don't proselytize. Basically, don't get in their way. Justice is God's endeavor that we partner in with him. We are playing a fool's game with corrupt definitions of justice and goodness. Okay, I think these last two points will be a little... Um, a little quicker, um, but I think that they're necessary to be stated. So we're talking about the mission of social justice. So I would summarize the mission of social justice as equal outcome. Every outcome needs to be equal. And really not every, just every outcome that is at their advantage. So I was going to pull up some New York Times articles and stuff like that, but instead I thought, you know what? The city of Seattle is a great place to go to to see, you know, what is the most progressive uh, movement in the United States. So this is from uh, the Seattle, a Seattle, Seattle government website talking about the race and social justice initiative. And so I'll just read to you a couple things in their introduction. It says the race and social justice initiative, and really this is part of the mission, you know, what, not what the definition is anymore, but what is their mission? What do they want to do? Is the city's commitment to eliminate racial disparities and achieve racial equity in Seattle. Okay, that, that word equity, it does not mean what you think it means, probably. Christians bring this up to me a lot. It's about equity. Equity is good, blah, blah, blah. No. Our equity, what we want equity to mean is equal access. That's not what they mean. Equity means equal outcome. That's why it says eliminate racial disparities. Eliminate any disparities on racial lines. Okay, and I'll comment on that in just a second. It's really important that we understand that. I'm going to scroll down to the education portion. Okay, I'll, I'll say one about equitable development. What do they want to do? It says, we need strategies to address the extreme racial disproportionality and homelessness. We need uh, police to be more race and social justice. Police need more race and social justice training to reduce the effects of implicit bias and effectively serve the diverse communities they represent. Seattle must end police practices that impact communities of color more than white communities for the same activities. We must end the school-to-prison pipeline by keeping students in school ensuring ensuring that they graduate on time. Um, In education, this is the last one I'll say. Ooh, I wish I could say more though. Uh, Suspensions and expulsions disproportionately impact students of color. They must be replaced with alternative practices that keep young people in school where they can learn and graduate. The question that I want you to think is why do you expect equal outcome in any circumstance? You can find no scenario ever in which, even when there's a complete elimination of bias, that there is equal outcome in a group. You're not even the same person from day to day. You could outperform yourself tomorrow, or you could perform better today than you do tomorrow. For example, the vast majority of the time, the firstborn in every family has the highest IQ. Is it because the parents prefer the firstborn? I mean, if you want to try to make that argument, you can, but it's highly unlikely that it's because parents love their firstborn child more. It's probably a better explanation. So 
why is the suggestion, why is it the suggestion that disparities mean discrimination or unequal outcome means discrimination or bias or injustice? That's a really big leap and you have to be really careful about that. So within the social justice framework, there is the embedded assumption and actually explicitly stated assumption that any time there is a disparity in outcome, that means some type of, that, that, that means it's unjust. That means there is an injustice, a discrimination that has taken place, a bias that has been imposed. So why do we think that there would be equal outcome? Did God not make people different? Did God not make cultures different? Do cultures not have different preferences, different choices? Do they not see different things as more valuable? Does one culture see time with their family as more valuable and another culture see uh, time in the workplace as more valuable? It could actually be argued <laughs> that those who have the highest income, I mean, what if, what if the argument was, well, those who have the highest income put more time in the workplace and have less time with their families and therefore have less stable family structures. Why are we so obsessed with things like money and education? I heard a Christian friend of mine say, you know how many male CEOs there are compared to female CEOs? And I thought, yeah, and? Glad the men are doing it because I don't want to. You never hear people say the opposite and say, why are there so many women home with their kids? Are they making their husbands work? No one does that. Because I posit that what is behind this most, more than anything else, not everything, but more than anything else, is greed and covetousness. And we as Christians are propping that up instead of saying, why do we care about everyone having the same of everything? We should care about poverty. We should ask, hi, why is this happening? We should feed the homeless. We should be with those who are suffering. That is not what I'm arguing against. Why equal outcome? If everyone needs to be equal, which God never intended it to be, God made hierarchies. It is very clear in scripture that he made hierarchies. He made some people to be more successful than others. He made some people to be smarter than others. He made some people to play football and other people, some people to never, never play football. You don't hear people in the NFL talking about the discrimination against white people because there's not as many white men on the field because it's like, yeah, a lot of them aren't as athletic. We just know that. So anyway, I just think it's, it, it's, we've bought in. We've bought. We've bought it. We've bought what they told us to say, if there's any disparity, that means you should be righteously jealous. And you should want what other people have. And you should be mad at them for doing it. And it's basically like they stole it from you. I mean, what an empty and deceptive and vile way f to get other people to fight for you. is to manipulate them like that. I want to give you a really quick example of how these statistics that sometimes you're given are so ma manipulative. So when people talk about you know capitalism and the top 10% in this in the society, we often think that the top 10% are stagnant, but that's not the case. 54% of American households will be in the top 10% at some point in their life. 54%. The top 1%, the majority of the top 1% are only in the top 1% for one year. 13% are in the top 1% for two years. The greatest difference in income is age. 
Oh, go figure, why would that be? I wonder why, because you have more years in the, in the workforce. So when people bring these numbers up, now I'm not saying there are no issues, okay? I can already hear people say, well, there are some issues. Yeah, I know there are issues. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're being manipulated, okay? And it's conscious. They're trying to manipulate you. They're trying to get you to do something. Think about it, step back and analyze. What does God's word say? Should we, should we be, you know, bothered by every type of disparity? Should we do something about every type of disparity? Because there's disparities, there's differences within the kingdom of God. So I don't understand why we would expect that to be different or, you know, why we, why we expect that type of utopia here. Well, I don't think it's utopia, but some people think it sounds like uh, utopia. Okay, going on about the mission of social justice. They want equal outcome as long as it's advantageous to them. Okay, I th again, I think it's really deceptive because I think greed is the driving factor with the equal outcome thing. And again, not in all circumstances. I know there's some people who get into this movement who really are just concerned about people who are oppressed. Go to, then use the Bible. The Bible already talks about that. We don't need the social justice movement for that. So... Um, no, in terms of the, of, of it being greedy, no one wants an equal number. No one's pushing for an equal number of women truck drivers. A lot of truck drivers get paid really well, but no one's like, we need more women in truck driving. They must not hire them. That's why, you know, they're discriminating against them. It's, 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 it's so blatantly obvious now that that's what you want. You want prestige. You want power. They don't want equal number of whites, people being white people being basketball stars. They want power, they want optics, they want the appearance of godliness. And that's how we're being manipulated. They have an appearance of godliness because they say the words. Some of them overlap with Christian biblical words, but not definitions. And Christian, we should be doing a better job at that, asking what their definitions mean. What do you mean by that? What why do you think that? I guarantee you it's not because they love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. Social justicians do not love their neighbors. They are partial to what esteems them and forwards their narrative. So, and I have an example about this. Everyone and their mom knows about George Floyd, right? No one saw that, well, I shouldn't say no one because someone's gonna say, I know someone on Twitter, but the vast majority of sane people did not see that and think, ah, big deal, right? I mean, did you see people that were like, big deal? Yeah, maybe you saw one, a couple crazy people, but the vast majority of people are not thinking big deal. But did you hear about Daniel Shaver? How many of you even heard about Muhammad Anwar? The reason I'm bringing this up is not this whole whataboutism thing. It's that you know what you're told. I've heard so many times from unassuming and very well-intentioned people, yeah, this must be happening all the time because we keep hearing this on the news. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've been duped. You know, the reason you keep hearing about it because they choose what to, what to serve you on a silver platter. And then we just, we eat it up. Muhammad Anwar was, probably the most devastating thing I have seen ever. And I accidentally watched it. And it was disturbing to me for several days. And I told Phil about it and I said, 
I never want to see something like that again. Why did I click on that? You know, it was on Twitter. Sometimes I think things on Twitter are um, somehow like, <laughs> like sifted through and maybe, you know, blurred a little bit, whatever. <sighs> Kidified, but no, it wasn't. Muhammad Anwar was a re- um, an immigrant and from the Middle East. I can't remember which country, but he's from the Middle East. And he was carjacked by two young girls. And he was half outside the car. And they sped off with the car and hit these two poles that smashed him twice. His head's like out and smashing him. And then they run into the curb and it flips out. He gets ejected. You see in the video, he's laying like face down, all contorted. No one goes to check on him. The National Guard who are there in DC help the girls out of the car. Again, no one in the video, at least, checks on him. His body is at their feet. The girls get out of the car and the first thing they say is, my phone's in there. It is devastating to watch. Why didn't you hear about it? I guarantee you didn't hear about it because those two girls were black. That's why you didn't hear about it, because the media doesn't want to show you. The media doesn't want to tell you. They want to manipulate you. They want to tell you what you, what you they, they want a narrative to be pushed. And Christian, you shouldn't care about the narrative. You should care about what's just and unjust. If there was an unjust act, whatever it, whatever it is, um, in, a, in a shooting regarding a white guy and a white guy, a white guy and a black guy, a white girl and, a, and an Asian girl, whatever it is, you should not care about the race. You should care about whether it was just or unjust. And we have been so swept up into this nonsense uh, to care about what they tell us to care about. And then they manipulate us, the media and the world, and the people that we care about their opinions, they manipulate us to say, well, if you don't do X, Y, or Z, or say X, Y, or Z, or think X, Y, or Z, you are the problem. You are the sinner. You are the one who hates. And it, oh gosh, we cannot ingest that we cannot believe that we cannot believe things like oh if you don't post a black square you know you don't care about black lives if you are against blm oh that means you're against black lives you know it's set up the argument is set up in such a way that you can't you are set up to lose by them the words that they use when you say i don't like black lives matter like within that statement it already sounds like you don't (laughs) you're not for black lives in general which is absurd as a believer. Um, so we don't, we don't play by their games. And that's really what's going to come up in the next episode. How, we, we, we don't play their game, but we do need to speak up and we do need to say something and we do need to be bold. So the, the last thing I was going to uh, say um, in the argument of why social justice is a cancer um, had, had to do again with equal outcomes. So... Is that in line with the mission of biblical justice? The mission of biblical justice is to establish, to to uphold what is good and to punish what is bad. And we have really blurred that line. To uphold and to praise and to reward what is good and to punish what is bad. That is being righteous. That is um, forwarding justice biblically. We believe in a God that who doesn't choose everyone, right? 
doesn't choose everyone to be in his family and he chooses it of his own free will. Do you think there's gonna be equal representation of all peoples in heaven? We know there's gonna be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, but does it say, well, you know, it's gonna be equally represented by the number that we're on earth, you know, minus two X times five, you know, whatever. No, God chooses it by his own free will. The assumption of social justicians is that in the absence of discrimination or bias, which they would, you know, AKA injustice, there would be equal outcomes. They see every disparity as a result of injustice. But our assumption, the assumption of the Christian worldview, even in the absence of sin, so even in a sinless world, there will be unequal outcomes. Why? Because Christ is our reward. Christ is our reward. You make more money than me, you are more intelligent than I am. It used to really piss me off, to be honest. It was, I wasn't able to celebrate my friends. I wasn't able, able to celebrate my family because I thought like the world wanted me to think. And I wanted everyone, actually I wanted me to be a little bit higher, but I, I didn't want anyone to beat me, right? That was the main thing, it was greedy. But now Christ is my reward. So I celebrate the things that he gives you of his own free will. I don't want to take that away. I don't want to disparage that. So question to ask that I want Christians to ask, why do unequal outcomes bother you? Is this born out of jealousy? It, maybe it's not, maybe, you know, maybe so many, so many times you're defending someone else, right? It's not, it's not even for yourself. But let's say you're just defending, you know, the people who were rioting after the George Floyd incident. Do you think that's actually loving them? Do you think that's helpful to them? Do you think that shows them what is pleasing to God? What will cause them to flourish? What will help them to love and obey God? Or are you actually defending their sin? Are you actually giving them reason to sin? For you, um, are you doing what you're doing because you have a sense of guilt and shame for the blessing of which you should thank God, but instead you're calling the fruit of what God has given you injustice and oppression? And what I mean by that is so many people are, you know, confessing their whiteness or something like that. Your ethnicity, your sex, your place in this life is a gift from God. It is not to be repented of. You are calling what God calls good a sin. You're denying God's redemptive ability to take something that may have happened in the past, which could be very bad, and turn it into someone's good. Everything from the Lord should be received with thanksgiving. I think that's it for today. I really appreciate you hearing me out, considering what I've said. My heart's desire is that you would know God more, that I would know God more, and that we would love him more, and we would learn to love each other more. And I don't consider niceness to be um, equal with what is loving. I don't consider um, what's easy to hear to be equal with what is loving. I am really interested to hear people's response to this and feedback. And I will just say it up front, just <laughs> on the little ending note, that I don't need the tone police and I don't need the methods police. If you think, well, you know, your tone was a little sharp here or, you know, I would have done it different. 
I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't, I actually, I don't care about that. Um, it's, I think that's the world's way of, of changing what's true, changing what people say in order to be more palatable. And I'm not here to be palatable. I'm here to, to say what the Bible says, to say what God says. And if I've said something in error, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear um, if I've misrepresented something, but that's it. I just want you guys to be loved. All right. Have a great one. Let me know what you think. Bye.